Lord, thank you that we come to you, um, eternal God. Nothing in this world takes you by surprise. Uh, We bow before your infinite majesty, and we know that you have a plan. And uh, everything that comes to pass in this world, uh, you have ordained it to be so. And we cry out, Lord, that we we would delight in that. This Advent season, Lord, reveal to us, enlighten to us uh, on your, your deep purposes for bringing Jesus into this world. And we are in union with this eternal Son of God, and we thank you that you are renewing your church by your very presence. We pray, Lord, your word will be effective today among your people. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you are just like me. You look around at the world. And uh, I think you probably have a heavy heart as you look at the world. Um, I uh, have always been interested, uh, thinking back to my teenage years, in international news. Uh, and I follow a lot of international news. And uh, this, the world is in trouble. The world is a lot of woe and a lot of hard things going on. Uh, but we also live in a marvelous world, an amazing world, uh, a lot of good things are going on, um, and uh, I see a world that loves certain words. Uh, for instance, the word innovation. Innovation. Uh, we have a place in California called Silicon Valley, right? And that word, I'm sure, is on the in the offices. Uh, we are an innovative company, or something. A mission statement that would say we're an innovative company. Innovation. Isn't that a great word? It's got a great feel to it. Innovation. It's it's. Uh, up to the minute, it's powerful. Uh, innovations um, are pretty amazing. Medical science has a lot of innovations these days. All kinds of great blood tests that weren't around years ago. Equipment that, that can detect diseases. So innovation, I'm not, uh, please don't interpret me as the skunk at the picnic. Um, I like innovation. Um, I think it's all pretty fantastic. And especially if you add the word technology to it, innovative technology, wow. Now you're moving into divine, godlike abilities of human beings. Innovative technology. Some people think that they can debug the problems of mankind through innovation and technology. I think Bill Gates is trying to remove malaria around the world. Man, I am all in favor of that. In eighth grade, I actually had a bout with malaria, um, living overseas. Um, But innovation kind of falls short a bit when you look carefully at the headlines of the news in the world. Um, And you don't have to actually do that. You can just look at a preschooler and say, man, can innovation help this little preschooler? Obey me, parents. In fact, we would be a little suspect about a, a preschool that would say, we have innovative techniques with our children. You know? And we'd say, well, yeah, you're right, sure. Innovations are cool. But I think you're like me. I look around the world and I know that the next version of the iPhone isn't going to solve that much. And we look at the human condition, 
And uh, it just feels like the fix is impossible. And so what we typically do, and I hammered a little bit on politicians and politics last week, and why not do it again? We try to imagine that laws are going to somehow fix society. People from neighborhood boards to Washington, D.C., got to figure out new laws to fix things. College campuses have speech laws. But more law will not fix the human condition. A hundred new laws, even a hundred new laws in the church or principles of living won't help a husband love their wives more. There's something really, really deep and wrong with our condition. And then there's something else about us is that we just won't look at our condition. We just won't look. We won't just we won't be honest about it. We'll just go on and on with innovative technology and all that sort of stuff. And that's fine, and we might make a living and pay bills. We're not really fixing anything. Because I think we're a little bit afraid to look at the condition because we know that we can't fix it. Those of us who've lived a little bit longer than some of the young adults here today know you young adults just have energy, man. We love you, man. It's great. You got energy. The rest of us are tired. We tried it all with our energy, with our to-do list, with our calendar, with our with our energy. We tried to fix our lives. And our true condition, man, it's hard to look at and particularly hard to own it. To say I'm contributing to it. To say I'm the problem. And to actually embrace that our problem is rebellion against a holy God? Boy, that really does sound odd in our innovative technology world to say, well, really the core problem here is not an electric vehicle. Well, that's amazing. And it might help the environment. Who knows? But the core problem is your heart before a holy God. Well, that just sounds so antiquated, so superstitious, so medieval, some other world. You're not talking about the real world that I live in. But actually, our Bibles are full of illustrations about God dealing with the real world. And so our passage today is a prophet who was sent by God, who had appeared, as it were, before the very court of God. That's what a prophet was. A prophet wasn't just some someone who had a vision about the future and kind of wandered around and mumbled to themselves and mumbled to people and said strange things about the future. A prophet had been appearing before the very court of God in heaven and been commissioned to speak and to preach and to deliver oracles of warning. They put their lives in the line. They were killed, some of them. And they were commissioned to have people look at their condition. Look. So a corrupt king was held accountable, told to look at what he was doing as he, as he failed to lead the people rightly. Well, apart from God's grace, we just won't look. Apart from God's grace, we will not look at our true condition. And apart from God's grace, we will not even think we have really that much more than a, 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 we don't really have a problem. And in fact, our default mode is sort of like, well, if you think you're talented or gifted or you think you're charitable or you think you're somehow doing good things, you're, you're kind of thinking, I'm glad God, well, God should be glad he has me on his team. So it's really hard for us to look at our condition. And what's remarkable is that God 
doesn't wait around for us to look at our condition, but he addresses our condition by his faithful promise to bring a redeemer. So this story that we're in is a remarkable story, an unfolding story that really starts back in Genesis 3.15 when God is having a conversation with us, the serpent, as, as unusual as that sounds. And God is promising in a very opaque and, and kind of uh, uh, enigmatic way. He's, it's hard to read what's going on here, but God is saying, I'm going to crush you. I'm going to send a he. He is going to crush you as a, like a snake. How do you kill a snake? Well, it's not any good to step on its tail. Well, some of you know this, right? So God speaks in language of, well, I don't know, what a farmer might use or how we would just look at a snake and we'd say, man, get that out of here. Someone kill it. And so the images of some boot coming along and stepping on this, this, this snake's head. And then God says, and you're going to bruise him. Who's this him? You're going to bruise him on the heel. Well, so there's going to be some mortal, there's going to be some combat. There's going to be a warrior coming. And there's going to be an exchange. And there's going to be wounds exchanged. One is going to be a lethal blow to the head. The other will be, well, it's going to, it's going to be significant, but it's not going to uh, be that significant. Well, this strange account in Genesis 3.15 is the promise of a redeemer who's going to come. And so what happens is in our Bibles is that we have this unfolding drama and we're watching in our Bibles for when the he is going to show up. When will he, when will he show up? And so will he show up in the book of Genesis? Will he be one of the, one of the, the sons that are born in, in the book of Genesis? And so as, we, as the Bible unfolds, we're watching babies being born. And some of the women have a hard time having children. And those are there's little miracle children along the way, and they're kind of special children because they're un, un, they're, they're just it doesn't make sense that they're they came into the world right. Well, God is setting up the tape. God's setting the table for the ultimate child who's going to come. And so this he, uh, we all ask, who is he? Who is this he? Isaiah is one of the great books that describes who the he is. And Isaiah is using dozens and dozens of images, metaphors, and similes to explain with poetic language who he is. Now, this time in uh, in Israel's history, or God's people in their history, it's a really, really rough time. And so what's happening is this, is that, well, the king, like King Ahaz, who was one of the kings in Judah, he was one of David's sons, by the way, in the, in the line of David's house. And you know what? David's house, you think, well, that must be, they must be specially godly people because they're part of David's house, meaning David's lineage, right? Uh, that didn't prove to be true at all. In fact, God's people got into a lot of trouble because of David's house, David's government, or those his ancestors. So what happens is that God... In, in, does the most impossible thing. He sustains his promise to bring one of David's sons into this world. And Isaiah uses the image of a stump. A stump. Ever cut, cut down a tree? And then you had to realize, wait a minute, i got to deal with this stump. <laughs> now, you did really well getting the tree cut down, but now you got to deal with this stump, right? 
Well, that's in verse 1. It says there's a stump, and the stump of Jesse. Do you see it there? Let's take a look at this. Uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. There, I get it right there. Now, Jesse was David's father. So it's basically saying that in through, through the, the line of David, there's going to be a, a descendant who's going to be, be vibrant and alive. He'll be intact. The line of David's family is going to be intact. But if you look at this forest and you're walking along and you just, and you, it's the most unnoticed thing in the field is a stump, right? And so Isaiah uses this image of, well, that's not that attractive. It's not very noticeable. In fact, we have an avocado tree we cut down years ago. And I was standing like right near it, and I kept thinking, "Where's this stump?" There was—I know there's a stump here somewhere. There's a stump here somewhere, and I'm, I'm two feet from it, and I can't see it. It's covered with some vines and covered with some plants, right? Well, I think that's something like this experience here. This stump of Jesse is doing something that no one, no one is not usually doesn't usually happen, and that is, it—it's alive. It's alive. The the tree has not is not dead. It's alive. And so what happens is a branch comes out of this stump and the branch begins to bear fruit. All right? So this stump and branch imagery, just by way of an outline, the stump and branch imagery is all about God's faithfulness to bring the final David. See, all of this is the background to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and this is all the background as to why it's so significant that God enters the world in Christ. This is the background. Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Isaiah is, is, is Jesus' favorite prophet to quote from. Isaiah has dozens and dozens of images that we might even think are a little bit unusual for Advent. Like, I don't think Hallmark Cards has, and the stump of Jesse. <laughs> I, is that going to be a popular, you know, if you were to buy that for your, your, your Christmas cards, you know? And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, uh, a branch with his roots. And I don't know. That's going to get, maybe some farmers would like that one, but I don't know, right? So this is an unusual, it's an unusual, but actually it's quite a remarkable statement from, from history about who Jesus is. And there's a lot of specificity about who this person is. The person who was so un, unknown in Genesis 3.15, sort of like, who is this? He's going to step on a snake's head. Who, who is that? Well, let's listen to what he is like. Look at verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord that was missing in the kings. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Wow, that is a significant person. That's a person of great integrity, a person who who doesn't just uh, respond emotionally to some injustice. They, 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 they give out perfect justice. They give, whatever they are doing is based on righteousness. 
the text that I didn't include in the worship folder goes on to talk about the wolf uh, lying down with the lamb. You've heard that imagery from Isaiah, that famous stuff about how animals that eat each other now are going to be at peace with each other then, right? Well, this is a, an amazing statement about, well, Jesus who comes in stage one, the kingdom of grace, and this kingdom of glory, the new heavens and new earth, radical change is going to happen to nature itself in, in the days to come, in the, in the new heavens and new earth. And Isaiah, right here in, in Isaiah 11, wraps up this passage by saying, In that day the Lord will extend, excuse me, in verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse, remember the root, this is what we're talking about, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and of his resting place shall be glorious. He is going to be like a signal. This, this root and this branch, this stump, is going to be a signal that God is going to remain faithful and bring one anointed and power, empowered with the Spirit. So those are some of the unique qualities that he has. And, of course, we see this magnificently in Jesus, who, as he interacts with the poor, he, he identifies with them. He remembers them. He acknowledges them. As Jesus performs miracles, he's often thinking... and compassionate toward those who cannot the whole a miracle of healing is to someone who cannot fix their situation he is one who is is embodying the kingdom of god so how does all this relate to my day-to-day life how does all this relate to my day-to-day life what what am i to do to what am i to take away as i think about this well, first of all, as you look at this imagery of stump, of the stump with the branch and the fruit, right? Just as Israel then was having to wait patiently uh, for the one who would come, we are called in the same way to wait patiently for the world to be fixed. We have to. We are. We are still in a troubled world. What Jesus has done in his first advent is massive and significant. But we are called to wait for the fruit of that new world to come, which is described in those ten verses that follow verse 1. Another thing that we're called to do is we're called to dwell upon the great qualities of this person who is empowered with the Spirit. We're called to adore him. We're called to focus on him. And dozens and dozens of images Isaiah helps us with. You think of the famous passage Isaiah 53 where Christ becomes the suffering lamb. But Isaiah begins to list events that will happen in the time of Jesus. And he also lists events that we must wait, we, we must wait for. We're also called to focus on the fruit that you can see in Jesus. Focus on the fruit that you can see in Jesus. Focus on the things that he has done for you. Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. But he did not be but we did not because we could not. He died the sinner's death that we should have died, but we will never have to because he did so for us. Because Jesus died the sinner's death in our place, God has no punitive anger left for us, only love and compassion 
and he has a plan to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So that stump, the stump of Jesse, the faithful one of David, David's family, is producing fruit in you. Just as his life produced fruit that gives us life, he's producing fruit in you. And of course, we think of the Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. This is underway in us. Jesus gives us the fruit of his righteousness. We are forever, ever his children. He has given us his perfect record, the record he accomplished, and now he's given that to us. Jesus has given us the Spirit to produce fruit. Ultimately, this is a time for us to receive the signal of hope, as verse 10 says. It's a signal. When you think about your life, maybe you're waiting for God to show you that he loves you. Maybe you're waiting for a sign. Well, what we're called to to look at in Scripture, in the New Testament, we're called to look at the sign of God's love. The sign of God's love is his son living a perfect life for you. The sign of God's love is his dying the death you needed for you. The sign of his love is that he rose from the dead. And the sign of his love is that he rose from again, rose and he's ascended into heaven. The sign of his love is that the spirit of God has been poured out and given to you. You see that stump in the field, that metaphor that Isaiah uses Growing, it's growing into a full tree. Jesus uses the imagery of, of, the, of a tree that starts off small, a little mustard seed, and then it becomes this huge tree, and the birds of the, of, the, of the world come and nest in its branches. Well, if you take that imagery, what, what's happening is, well, people of the world are coming to this tree. And when we think about the tree, or really, Jesus Jesus gives his life on what's described as a tree, the cross. And it's, it's a really unlikely place, isn't it? Just like a stump in a field is an unlikely thing of like, how can there ever, the thing is dead. How can that thing ever produce fruit, right? It's a per- perfectly reasonable thing. How about someone looking at Jesus suffering on the, on the cross? How can, that, how can that be any good? How can that produce fruit. Interesting, isn't it? It's impossible. It feels impossible. It doesn't feel like a fix. How can that be a fix to our world? How can that be a fix to our world, right? Mary said something similar. Hers was a little bit more reasonable, I think. When the angel Gabriel says in Luke 1, um, you're going to have a child of the Holy Spirit, you know, a child. And she says, uh, well, how will that happen since I'm a virgin? Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Mary responds, may your word be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. So, Throughout our Bibles, God does the impossible. 
Will there be someone who comes along and crushes Satan? Yep, Jesus does it on the cross. That's a, will there be someone come along and produce fruit from, from something that looks dead? Yep, Jesus does it from the cross. Will there be a place where I can know that God loves me and God abides with my sorrow and God enters into my world where God is with me? Yep, you can meet him at the cross. And it all feels impossible. It feels hard. It feels counterintuitive. But God is gracious to you to communicate his grace to you and to reveal these things to you. So may God richly bless his word among us today. And uh, let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're the God of the impossible. When a field is left, there's just a stump there. Lord, we'd all overlook it. Such an image of Jesus, the one who was overlooked and left for dead. And he produces life in us. Lord, is this the story of Advent? This is the story of Advent. Come, Lord Jesus, and bring the justice that the world needs. Bring the final fix that the world needs. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.